0: Hey, hey, it's Ellie. Welcome to Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, you know the lowdown of this uh, little sub series here that we have. I'm going to read three minute mysteries or quote unquote, detectograms. They're just basically logic puzzles and they're a lot of fun. So anyways, I'm just gonna read three of them and I'm gonna try and solve them the best I can. And once I am out of ideas or that I think I have the solution, I look at the solution and then we laugh at ourselves together. So I'm not very good at these, but sometimes I get lucky. Actually, two episodes ago, I did horribly. I got like maybe part of one right. But last episode, I got three full ones right. So who knows how this episode is going to (laughs) go? Oh man, it could be, it could be anything, honestly. So um, yeah, let's just jump right in. Death Backstage Claudia Mason, beautiful and popular young actress, was found lying across the chaise long in her elaborately furnished dressing room, dead from a bullet wound in the temple. She had sold her jewels and, with a heroic gesture, partially paid her many debts. Near Claudia's right hand, Sergeant Reynolds picked up the revolver with which she had been killed and, after a careful examination, said, No fingerprints, of course. Gosh, Fortney, there's two racks she didn't sell, he exclaimed, pointing to a large emerald on her left hand and a diamond on her right. Call Maria her maid. I want to find out who this fellow is, said the professor, nodding toward a man's photograph, signed Juan. This was evidently addressed to him, he said, passing over a note which read Dear Juan, I am so despondent. The money from my jewels was not nearly enough. Claudia. Not many of these dames kill themselves over their debts, muttered Reynolds, as he went to call Maria. The maid entered the room, sobbing and hysterical. Who is Juan? asked Professor Fordney. He's the leading man in the show. Why wasn't this note delivered to him? I I forgot it. You found her? Yes, when I came to help her dress, she was like that. Is Juan in his dressing room now? Uh, I believe so. When Reynolds brought him into Claudia's room, he dropped to his knees beside the dead girl. My God, she's killed herself! No, she hasn't, young man. She was murdered said the professor. Why was he sure it was not suicide? So, what we're supposed to believe is that it was a suicide, and it was a suicide because she sold everything she had, she didn't have enough money to pay off some unnamed debts, and so she shot herself according to what we are supposed to believe. However, that is obviously not true, so we need to find the hole in this story that we've been told. Oh, so, this is interesting. Sergeant Reynolds, while he was kind of examining the crime scene, picked up the gun that was near Claudia's right hand, which supposedly she had shot herself with, um, had no fingerprints on it. So, it doesn't say anything about her wearing gloves. But since there is nothing, you know, concrete that says she was wearing gloves or says she wasn't wearing gloves, I'm not willing to fully commit to that as my solution. But I think that is a great idea, that... The gun that she supposedly shot herself with didn't have fingerprints on it. So obviously, how could she have shot herself without putting fingerprints on it? So I think that is one strange thing. And also, she was wearing an emerald on her left hand and a diamond on her right hand. So obviously, she didn't sell everything she had. And diamonds and emeralds, they're pretty valuable. So she could have gotten a, you know, decent amount of money for them. So I think she definitely would have sold those. And it doesn't say anywhere that they were sentimental in any way. So I'm just wondering why she didn't sell those as well. So that might have also been strange. So I think what actually happened is that whoever murdered her, either the maid or Juan, just stole all of, you know, her valuables to make it seem like she sold it all, and then killed her to make it seem like it was suicide and, like, wrote the note and everything. But they couldn't get the the emerald and the diamond off of her body, so they just left it. So, let's see. Let's Now let's talk about the, the suspects we have. So we have Juan and we have the maid. And all that we know about the maid is that she never delivered Juan's note because she found her, you know, her boss dead. And she was sobbing and hysterical, so I don't have any specific reason to doubt her story because she was, you know, hysterical. Although she says that she just quote-unquote forgot the note, which I don't know the timeline of when she wrote the note versus when it was supposed to be delivered, but I don't know. Maybe that doesn't light up. Anyway, let's talk about Juan. So what did did Juan do in this story. So let's see. So all we see of him is him um, walking in the room and freaking out and saying, she's killed herself. Uh, That's like, you know, at the very end, he's like, my God, she's killed herself. But in Claudia's room, there is a picture of Juan that is signed, which I mean, sure, why not? (laughs) And there's also the note that she obviously wrote to him. So I don't have a suspect. Because, you know, I don't see anything obviously wrong with these. There are things that are strange, but they also just might be misunderstandings on my part. So, you know what? Mm. I'm just gonna go with the fingerprint thing that I saw at the beginning. That is my solution. You know, like, when Sergeant Reynolds picked up the revolver that she supposedly killed herself with, why weren't there fingerprints on it? Why is that a thing? Was she wearing gloves? I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's the best solutions that I have. So let's look at the actual solution, shall we? There were no fingerprints on the gun which killed Claudia Mason. She could not have shot herself in the temple and then wiped off the revolver. The murderer neglected to get her fingerprints on the gun. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh man, I am I am so relieved. I was going way too deep into that. I was looking for, you know, I was looking at the different suspects, I was thinking about the note, I was thinking about everything. But the thing with these logic puzzles is that most of the time, basically everything is a red herring. <laughs> So you just have to look at the facts, and I think that's one of the best strategies here, is just to look at the facts and look at what actually happened. And, um, yeah. So, anyway, I'm proud of myself. I got one. <laughs> I'm doing better than I did two weeks ago, so this is already a step up from before. Uh, but anyway, let's go on to the next one, shall we? An easy combination. I was working late, preparing an advertising campaign, continued Fellows, whom Professor Fortney had been questioning, About 10.15, I heard the outer office door click. Being unarmed, I hurriedly turned out the lights in my office and waited breathlessly, as there was a large sum of money in the safe. I knew my chances of attracting attention from the 10th floor were small, so, reaching for the telephone, I hastily dialed headquarters and told them in a low voice to send help immediately. Then, creeping noiselessly to the open safe, I gently shut the door, twirled the combination, and crawled behind that big old-fashioned desk. Shortly afterward, the robber entered my office, flashed his light over the place, and went to the safe. He had it open in a few minutes, took the money, and left. That's all I know about it. What time is it now, Mr. Fellows? inquired Fortney. Why, I haven't to watch. How, then, did you know that it was about 10.15 when you heard the door click? I had gone next door for a sandwich, and as I left, I glanced at the restaurant clock and noticed it was ten five. I'd been back about five minutes, replied Fellows. You say the burglar was masked, continued the professor. How did you know it? As he focused his flashlight on the combination and bent over, I saw the mask, returned Fellows belligerently. Very interesting, smiled Fordney, but you'll have to be a better liar than that, Fellows, to fool me. Where did the professor detect the lie? Okay, okay. So obviously, uh, this guy, Fellows, tells his story, and then at the end... Fordney kind of pokes a few holes in it, or at least he tries to. But fellows, you know, has responses to his. So first, he tells the story of how his safe was stolen from, and how he was in the room and he was like hiding behind a desk when they took from the safe. And then after he finishes telling his story, um, Professor Fordney asks, "How did you know that it was 10:15 when you heard the door click? You know, how did you know the time if you didn't have a watch?" And um, and then he had a solution for that. And then the next question he asked was. How did you know that the burglar was masked? You know? And, um, I think they're too obvious to be actual problems in the story. Because usually, they're, again, like I mentioned before, there are a lot of red herrings in these stories. And so I'm not going to rely on those two points for my solution. Um, rather, I'm just going to look at the original story that he told before the questions. And I'm going to uh, try and read through that and figure out kind of uh, where the problem is. So... Hmm. So when I was reading this, I was kind of confused. I thought it was just a misunderstanding on my part, but reading it again, it is confusing. So he talks about the outer office door clicking open and he could hear it. You know, at 1015, again, he could hear the outer office door click. That's what it says. And then later it says, I knew my chances of attracting attention from the 10th floor were small. So uh, what is he right by the outer office or on the 10th floor? <laughs> I'm I'm kind of confused about that 10th floor thing. So maybe, I mean, obviously they could be, there could be just an office on the 10th floor and they just went into, you know, the outer office on the 10th floor. But then why would he say his chances of attracting attention from the 10th floor were small? Like, what? <laughs> maybe this is just confusion on my part. Maybe I'm misreading it or something. That is obviously, you know, a possibility. But I still think it's strange how like he heard it from the outer office door, which, you know, supposedly is just a couple of rooms away. And then he's like, my chances of attracting attention from the 10th floor were small. And so he, you know, calls 911. I think that's really strange. Also, remember how Fordney at the very end is like, how did you know this guy was masked? Which his answer for that is that he saw it when, you know, he flashed his light on the combination and it kind of reflected back onto his face. But, you know, he's hiding behind, according to him, quote unquote, that big old fashioned desk, which supposedly is big and solid. And if you were hiding behind it, you wouldn't be peeking over, you know? Was was he looking through the desk? Because he was hiding behind a desk. Quote-unquote, a big old-fashioned desk. And supposedly he wasn't, you know, like, peeking around it. Because why would you do that? There's a burglar in your room. You wouldn't, you know, take a peek at them, you know? So I do think it is strange how he saw that the burglar was masked. Supposedly from sitting behind a big old desk that he wouldn't have been able to see around. Um... The other question that Fortney asks, I know I wasn't going to talk about the questions that he asked because they're probably red herrings, but another thing that Fordney asked was about the timing, which, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a huge issue because timing doesn't matter all that much because he only mentions the time, you know, at the beginning when he's like, oh, it was about 10, 15. So I think my final solution is going to be the thing about the 10th floor because that's just confusing me. Maybe, honestly, I could be misreading it, but I'm just so confused by this. <laughs> I didn't think it's strange how you know if he was in the outer office and if the door to the outer office was opening, then supposedly he's just a couple of rooms away. And so you know if my house is being robbed, right, and there was someone you know a couple rooms away that I could hear, I wouldn't feel safe enough to call 911. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's look at the solution. I think that's gonna be my final solution. So anyway, let's uh let's read it. It would have been impossible for fellows to have hastily dialed a number in the dark. Try it. (laughs) Okay, that is a wonderful point. (laughs) Oh gosh, they got us with the light trick again. They've done this before in other detectograms. Sorry, I like calling them detectograms. They've pulled this trick before where they like, you know, they they nullify basically the whole story by virtue of there being no lights on. (laughs) Oh gosh, we've been foiled again. Oh my gosh. Okay. Alright. On to the last one. <laughs> a modern night. Night with a K, not just with an N. There was hardly a breath of fresh air as we sat on the terrace enjoying tea, reminisced Professor Fordney. Raka excused himself, saying he wished to telephone. Shortly after he entered the house, we heard a shot. I rushed into the drawing room and found Raka, smoking gun in hand, staring dumbly at the chair in front of the open window, which held the huddled body of Chase. A hasty examination disclosed the telephone receiver off the hook, a single cigarette stub of Raka's brand in the ashtray, a bullet hole in the gauze curtain six inches below the windowsill, and Raka's open cigarette case in Chase's lap. His replies to my hastily put questions were evasive. Inspector Kelly arrived when I was talking and took up the questioning. Did you use the telephone? Yes. You came directly to this room and did not leave it? Yes. Chase was engaged to your sister? Yes, he was. Did you offer Chase a cigarette? I did. How did that dent get into your cigarette case? I dropped it about a week ago. Did you shoot Chase? I refuse to answer that question. At this point, the doctor arrived and located the bullet in Chase's body- Raka then admitted Chase had been shot with the gun found in his own hand, but stubbornly refused to say anything more. "'What's your opinion, Professor?' Kelly asked. "'Well,' I replied, "'Raka is obviously shielding someone. We have positive proof he came directly here and has not left this room. That, combined with the other evidence discovered, absolutely exonerates Raka.' How did the Professor know Raka had not shot Chase? So, supposedly, they were hanging out at Forty's house, right?' and um, they were just, you know, enjoying tea. And Raka goes inside to, you know, use the phone. And uh, Chase was indoors, apparently, and they hear a shot, so they come back inside, and they see Raka holding a smoking gun and Chase being dead in front of him. And somehow Raka didn't kill Chase. (laughs) So you need to figure out who did or maybe you don't need to figure out who did, but at least we need to figure out the hole in this story. You know, there's some, there's some way that Rock is being framed. We need to figure out what exactly that, uh, that contradiction is. So, I have a theory. I doubt it's true, but I have a theory. <laughs> what happened is that, obviously, Rocco went into the house to use the telephone, and according to his questioning, he did actually use the telephone. Um, but then later in the scene afterwards, we see that the telephone was off the hook. So if, if Rocco had been planning on shooting Chase... I don't think he would have left the telephone off the hook. So I think that's kind of a sign of a struggle or, you know, a surprise of some kind. So I think that is also a solution. One thing that is strange is that obviously there's the bullet hole in the curtains that it mentions, but there's no bullet hole in the wall. So if Rocco was facing the window while he shot him, there would supposedly be a bullet hole through Chase, through the curtain and through the wall. So there was a bullet hole in Chase and there was a bullet hole in the curtain, but not in the wall. (laughs) So that leads me to believe that maybe he was shot from somewhere else that wasn't where Rocco was standing. Um, So either I'm misreading this or I'm actually onto something. (laughs) That's generally how these things go. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's like, I think the thing with the curtain in the wall, I think that is really something viable here. So I'm confident enough with my solution and uh, at a loss for anything else that I'm just going to go with that solution. Uh, So yeah, anyway, let's read the solution, shall we? The fact that the bullet was found in the body, and the only trace of its firing was the hole in the curtain below the windowsill, proved conclusively that the shot could not have been fired from within the room. Rocco entered at the moment his sister shot Chase from outside. Grabbing the gun from her hand, he chivalrously protected her. So, oh yeah, that was actually my theory, was that somebody had shot him from outside the open window. But you would think that they would mention that the bullet wound had come from the part of his body facing the window and not the part of his body facing Rocco. Like, isn't that an important piece of information? (laughs) I guess mentioning that would have made it too easy, which, I mean, makes sense. But still, I'm proud that I got that and I will take my success with grace. (laughs) So anyway, I really enjoyed those. I got two out of three this week, which is, you know, very respectable. I'm very, I'm very happy with my loss, especially because the one point that I missed was a light trick. They got us with the lights off trick. Dang it! <laughs> uh, anyway, so I really enjoyed those. You know, lots of fun learning about murder and stories and finding holes in stories. You know, it's it's like every day that I do an episode of this, I become closer to becoming one with the Sherlock. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Anyway, so lastly, if you guys have anything you want to tell me or anything you want to show me or anything you want to tell me about, please email me at. Classic Mysteries pod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. You know, your favorite books, your favorite logic puzzles, your favorite piece of history. I don't care. Give it all to me. I want your knowledge. <laughs> also, um, yeah, I just want to make sure that you guys have a wonderful day. And I hope that this podcast makes it just a little bit better. And I know that I had a great day today, and I hope that you do too. So, genuinely, have a wonderful day. Anyway, oh, PSA, by the way. <clears throat> don't do death, kids. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>